This is Restless. Welcome back to Restless, a post-mortem on the young, restless, and reformed. I am your host, Matt, joined by Pastor Michael, and I personally, Pastor Michael, was never a fan of Demon Hunter. I don't know about <laughs> you. Is it, Wait, so Demon Hunter, is this a band? This is a uh, Christian hardcore, like hardcore screamo band. Yeah, I've definitely heard it. Uh, you know, I was, I was in those scenes as far as, like, listening to some screamo, but I never loved the, like, all out it was all like this is all we're doing is just screaming like crazy i never loved that i was much more like you know silverstein or sure. you know guys like this where it was like hey uh you've got some emery you know you've got some decent yeah. just singing mm-hmm. and then you break in with some of the screaming yeah demon hunter love to have you on the show maybe you still exist yeah um, hey i uh I'll, I'll i'll make one more comment on screamo i'm sure there's a great screamo post-mortem co- uh podcast out there there's that gotta be. you can go join if you're interested in that but i still have a shirt signed by all the members of under oath that i got wow. as a young man so <laughs> pastor michael why did i bring up demon hunter today well it is because we are returning as we it has been a while it's been quite some time since we have looked at the rise and fall of mars hill yeah, we really are. I mean, so we are, uh, you know, a postmortem on the Young, Restless, and Reformed. At this point, are we also a postmortem of the rise and fall of Mars Hill? <laughs> I think we are. I mean, it's over, so. And so we, uh, we've been walking through this episode by episode, both thinking through uh, what they are reporting on Mars Hill uh, so that we can understand what happened. But also, this piece of entertainment also has a very, as it's, couldn't be more clear in this episode, a very specific agenda in episode eight, Demon Hunting. Now, I will say there are times where we go on longer breaks between Mars Hill episodes. However, if you want more Mark Driscoll content from us, every week on Patreon, there's Mark Driscoll We've stuff got for it. you. And this is for like, if you just, even just the lowest level Patreon, there's more for you yep. if you want to uh, join on one of the higher levels that we have. But the lowest level is $3 a month. It's, I mean, it's nothing. And you will get all of the Mark Driscoll content you could desire. And this week though, because we're doing the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, instead this week, we are releasing a reaction we did to Pastor Greg Locke exercising some witches out of his church so it's demon week it all is, around it's, it's, here it's, at restless. We, we demon week at restless oh <laughs> uh, so let's get into it because i told pastor michael i had like 18 clips i i this is a this is a monster of a thing to work through and one might say a demon <laughs> a demon yeah no no wonder it's uh no wonder it felt that way So Pastor Michael, as we always do, because we want to emphasize these episodes come with a specific message, I want to share with you and with our listeners what I would say the thesis of this episode was. So let me read it and we can discuss it and discuss some other big things that go on before we do some of the clips. So this episode is um, a an episode about the largely the deliverance ministry that was occurring at Mars Hill, right? This is what they mean by demon hunting and charismatic leaning practices around helping people find relief from apparent demonic oppression and other things. Is there anything else just context of the episode since it's been a while since probably the person hearing this has heard this episode? Yeah. I'm so I, you know, I don't know that I would add much to that. I know um, they kind of didn't like the idea of it being, uh, thought of as a deliverance type ministry, mm, but that's, yeah. that is clearly what it was um, inspired by, you know, a lot of, of what you see in maybe more um, extreme charismatic circles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so my, the thesis of the rise and fall of Mars Hill, this is what I believe they're trying to communicate to you through this episode. And I am going to use the term deliverance ministry, because I do think it is pretty much descriptive of what is going on. So the deliverance ministry at Mars Hill led by Mark Driscoll, was a powerful ministry in a secularized time for people who wanted to experience a supernatural God. This supernatural ministry was another venue where he accrued power as a leader and displayed his pr- prideful and patronizing views of women. Now, Pastor Michael, do you think I, is there something you would add? Is there, do you think that there is a, uh, yeah, is there, what do you think about that? No, that's really good. Um, especially, 
um, we will get into how this, there is so much that could be critiqued about what is going on with this weird, like, yes. you know, we're looking for demons in everybody and, yes. and having like the way that you counsel people through that and like have them expose kind of their deepest, darkest secrets and, and uh, often seemingly like yep. attribute those things to demonic activity yep. um, primarily, even it seems like, uh, but also this episode doesn't do as much of that. Right. Uh, it seems to, and I, you know, we can, we'll, we'll get into why I think that might be. Um, mm. But instead of critiquing that in itself, although it does a little bit, it takes mm -hmm. some shots at it. Um, it turns into an episode about how this was detrimental to women, particularly. This, this is the first episode that I can say the, the episode that was specifically on gender. Obviously we had a lot of criticism of, but again, that was at least an episode on gender. This is the first episode where I am truly disappointed with what was done. Shame on you, if, if you will. I, I just listened to this. And the fact that in the thesis statement of the episode, I had to include views of women on an episode that there is plenty to deal with. Right. In the outside of that. Uh, yeah. Outside, outside of those issues. Which is, again, you've dealt with that over and over again. And that's, yeah. And that's fine. I, I get that that is an emphasis and that is something they want to yeah. point out. And there were obvious yes. problems yeah. in Mars Hill yes. um, when it comes to this issue. But yep. the fact that it's it has to come up again right. makes you think that, okay, here is where the bent it, of this story is In going. an episode that draws all kinds of questions and none are that. Yep. All there's, There are so many questions we could ask. Yeah, There are so many questions like that you already mentioned about how was this different than charismatic practices in yep. general? Where did this come from? Where did this? How come? do you justify it? Why are you just making this up? Yeah, it sure seems like it. There's a ton, <laughs> yeah, there is a ton of questions. And and again, if you want uh, to have your one moment of talking about women, hey, Driscoll even in this context made this derogatory comment about women. Fine, I get that. That that is fine. But dear listener i love you this becomes the second half of this episode yep. is investigating deliverance ministries and women yeah and i don't know i i, I our church doesn't have a deliverance ministry and so it's well, hard we do. For, it's, it's hard for the, me to the know preaching if that's, of the gospel yeah, <laughs> it's hard for me to know if that is a, a concern at your deliverance ministry but basically this episode begins it begins with a description of fairy stories which i found particularly unhelpful um but the basic premise that they say is people want to believe quoting the x-files that people want to believe in things being out there right and christians likely especially want to believe especially given that they want healing they want to know a supernatural being like god in a secular secular city like um Seattle, this is probably even more attractive. Yep. And so it is in this context that they make sense of why is there this underlying emphasis in Mars Hill with charismatic manifestations and demons. And Pastor Michael, on that note, they're completely right. It was yep. totally, it was there in, it was always there with Driscoll, the charismatic element of it. And and the deliverance ministry element of it. And it was something I followed closely. And, and I thought he was walking a, um, a very moderate line. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. It's just funny to look back and think that, um, you know, I was, uh, I had the benefit of, you know, some older, wiser mentors that steered me away from some of the, not, not from, you know, I was very much in a, in a more kind of charismatic mold, um, mm. not, not necessarily where I grew up in my church, but very much like a Wayne Grudem, mm -hmm. uh, kind of, you know, charismatic gifts mold, um, or like Sam Storms, yep. uh, who we're going to get to. Um, so I was very much in that mold, but I remember being very specifically directed away from, uh, Mark Driscoll's, you know, charismatic Calvinist book once. Mm. Uh, and, uh, funny enough, I was, somebody offered to buy me a book and I wanted that one. And they said, well, no, don't do that one. And then, so I picked up, uh, uh, chosen by God by Sam Storms. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I do think that is why next week as one of our final, uh, entries into this winsome winter, we are going to winsomely expose people to cessationism, which was totally left out of the YRR. Yep. 
um, and I actually think is an important element of reformed confessional belief, something that has become uh, a pretty important thing for me, probably coming out of this whole right. movement yeah. um, and only being exposed to systematic theologies by like Wayne Grudem and the like. And so look forward to that. Um, and probably what we do here today might uh, may inform a little bit of how we have that discussion, but we're going to do so winsomely. No J-Mac. Yeah. We're not going to be we're not going to be old and crotchety <laughs> and everything. So we'll probably talk about demons a lot more this week than we will next week. Let's start with a clip here. Let's uh, start hearing a little bit about this ministry that was apparently going on. If you've never heard of a demon trial, you're not alone. Mars Hill, it was the language used for what's elsewhere known as deliverance ministry. And it's a practice that emerges out of Pentecostalism. It's kind of related to exorcism. The foundational idea is that Christians can't be possessed by demons because they belong to God. But demons, through a variety of means, can gain a foothold in the lives of Christians. It's often through dabbling with the occult or sexual sin, or even experiences of trauma like sexual abuse. They can also get a foothold through generational sin. So if your mother practiced witchcraft, you might have sort of inherited a demonic presence in your life too. As a result, you experience long-term struggles, nightmares, panic attacks, chronic pain, anxiety, bursts of anger or addiction, because the demon's foothold enables them to afflict you more deeply. Deliverance, then, is a way to break the hold the demon has in your life and set you free. While this isn't a common practice in mainstream evangelicalism, it's had moments where it's taken hold there, too. Here's so this is just some context for what a demon trial is, sometimes called a deliverance ministry, right? They explained that this was very popular when there was a lot of charismatic renewal in... Um, evangelicalism right that this is like almost for many people synonymous with the term spiritual warfare right we have frank peretti putting it into lots of novels like this present darkness um it's not super practiced in a lot of evangelicalism um has a, a form of this has a pretty long practice in roman catholicism actually um and is obviously very widely done in um charismatic circles and Pentecostal circles. So Pastor Michael, what, what do you think about this? So uh, the question that I think uh, we should keep asking as this continues is where do you get this? Mm. Yep. So when it comes to things like demonology or like understanding demons and how they work and how they operate, um, the scripture does not speak that much on these things. Right. Um, it's not to say that it doesn't speak on them. So there are some who might uh, go in, I think, actually a negative direction where they kind of deny a lot of the supernatural mm -hmm. elements of uh, scripture and of the uh, the life that we live. Right. The the spiritual world around us um, to the point where they might even just deny that there's any kind of demonic activity at work in the world altogether. Um, I think that can be problematic. And I think people coming out of those situations, especially um, in a time where we are right now with kind of a growing, uh, growing movement of, you know, kind of new age spiritualism and, and these sorts of practices um, in our country. I think that especially then, you know, tied to the use of, of uh, hard drugs mm -hmm. of various kinds that almost all cultures throughout the history of the world have tied to um, some kind of spiritual practices. I think that probably there's going to be an uptick around us in what we would refer to as demonic activity. Mm -hmm. That being said, again, uh, I want you to go back to the scripture. I want you, when you're telling me that uh, Christian cannot be possessed, but they can be like oppressed. oppressed in various ways. I want you to explain that to me directly from the scripture. I want you to show me where the apostle Paul or Peter or where Jesus himself is speaking of these things and how to deal with these things. Because in lieu of that, what you find in almost all of these practices is some guy just made it up. Mm -hmm. A lot of times it's taken from other like uh, other uh, religions, uh, but it's, it is just, you, you're just making stuff up. Yeah. And when you start doing that, you're in really dangerous territory and you may not be dealing with, you know, actually uh, delivering somebody from demonic oppression. Um, you might actually, you know, uh, be engaging in some kind of a lie. 
-hmm. And that is in itself, uh, you know, demonic. Yeah, I think we will get further into this question of what's biblical and what's not as we listen to Driscoll explain uh, the process he uses um, and, and what they taught on it. A lot of this comes from a spiritual warfare workshop um, that they had in the year 2008. I listened to this thing. Uh, I shared it with people. I thought this was like the best. Pastor Michael is smiling <laughs> because just every time they're I like Driscoll in, in this area. Everything they're like, yeah, Dr- Mike Driscoll, this is the worst thing he ever yeah, said. I, Matt's like, I was there and I loved it. Yeah. And so <laughs> I remember I remember uh, some of these clips. Um, and so I, I remember at the time thinking that he had the balance of what that you're talking about. Not too much emphasis, but not denying uh, the supernatural. So let's play um, one of these clips uh, from him at this conference, listening to him begin. That workshop describing his own experiences with it. I don't use deliverance ministry language. I'm not big on parading this before people. This has been a quiet part of my ministry for a lot of years. Um, People hearing voices, no longer hearing voices. People tormented, no longer being tormented. People with demonic manifestations, no longer experiencing that kind of thing. I've even seen people physically healed um, in my office. And, uh, and I praise God because so much of it was demonic and satanic that was harming them. Okay, so Pastor Michael, when I first heard Driscoll discussing this in this, in this specific seminar, do you know what gave it a lot of credibility to me? What? And it's almost ironic at this point, as I think about this, he said, this has been a quiet part of my ministry and I've never talked about it as he's about to like, just talk, talk about, about it all about the time it, uh, for stories. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I, again, I do think that um, whether or not we're talking about very difficult pastoral situations or just the, the, any engagement with these kinds of supernatural things, I do think it is, is best done discreetly just because it's whatever it is, whatever you're dealing with, you are likely dealing with some of the most difficult things a person's ever could possibly have ever dealt with. Yeah. Um, And so that was something that uh, I heard about. And I also heard in the circles I ran in, almost all pastors say something like, well, I know I've had engagement with the demonic at our church mm-hmm. and so it's it's like it's also painted as like a almost universal experience for pastors yeah yeah that's an interesting point um pastor you know. michael would you join the universal manifestation uh universe the the pastors who <laughs> claim you uni- that it's nearly universal that there's been manifestations of the demonic um i don't I would not use words like manifestation sure. of the demonic or something like that. Have I um, been engaged in spiritual warfare against the principalities and powers, uh, the, you know, the, the evil forces in the spiritual realm? Yes. Um, and have there even been times in my life, you know, maybe uh, we'll share stories someday, but probably I won't. Yeah. Um, where like really strange things happen that I'm like, I can't like, fully explain what's going on, but I also don't know if it's in my head. I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but something is going on that I tend to think is probably spiritual in nature um, that I can't explain that that stuff has happened. Um, not to the degree that so many people say, you right. know, not to the same uh, degree of like, you know, oh, this person could all of a sudden, like they were like, they had super strength. I mean, we're, yeah, we're going to, in this episode get, I mean, I don't know if we're going to play all these clips. We're going to get levitations, right? Um, uh, demonic voices emanating yep. from a person not speaking yeah. superhuman strength right we're we're going to go far beyond you know a lot of this and and one thing that this makes me think about is and maybe it's cuz i'm studying revelation the church here is teaching through it in sunday school the john in his apocalypse sees demonic activity clearly right he he is he is seeking to reveal the demonic and and do you know what's fascinating about it? He's revealing it in like, hey, you know those people persecuting you? This is demonic. This nation that's raising itself up against the church right now, that's demonic, right? He is, he does not seem to be often, dis- he's using supernatural language to describe it so that they know they're part of the war 
of the lamb and, and the dragon. Not it seems like a lot of what would go on and what we would think of as ordinary is is what is maybe the kinds of demonic things we need to be talking more about rather than the this kind of super extraordinary stuff. Yeah, so um there is a desire and I actually do think that one of the things this article or this uh podcast points out um, is that maybe part of the de desire is because, you know, people are living in kind of the secular West and like these things don't happen, but they read about them in the Bible and they want to see them happen. I think there might be some truth to that, right? People are seeking some kind of spiritual experience. Yeah. But uh, when you read the scripture, there are instances of weird, miraculous things happening by the power of demons. Um, there are prophecies that are given um, by the, you know, power of demons. Um there is at least one example of somebody that had seemingly superhuman strength by the power of demons. But if you read through the scripture, what you find is that these things are pretty far and few in between, right? This is not, it is not common. Um, and the vast majority of the demonic powers that are spoken of are powers involved in doing things like lying, mm -hmm. um, in working through the, the false, religions or anti-christ uh religious beliefs yeah. that people would use or in you know uh, standing up to uh persecute the church mm -hmm. this is where you see demonic activity spoken of far more than anywhere else and almost every and and, and maybe we'll come back to this because this is i think an important point almost every like what we would call supernatural demonic uh, uh manifestation seems to be in the life of christ or the apostles Right. It's, 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 there are miracles in the Old Testament, healing miracles, different kinds of miracles, but you actually don't see them confronting demons the way Jesus and the apostles do. And if you're a biblical person, you should be thinking to yourself, hey, I wonder why that is. And I'm not going to answer that question right now. Maybe we'll come back to it. But let's play a clip about what was um, apparently very unique to the Mars Hill deliverance ministry. They're about women. And Driscoll makes clear why that's the case. Uh, most of my demonic counseling work has been with women. Can't explain that. Paul says that women are the weaker vessel. Maybe that's the case. It says that women are more easily deceived. I know that most feminists don't like those verses. Um, if they're true, that would mean that those women who don't like them are deceived, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Um, <laughs> And, uh, oh and within that, I, I find that it's interesting to me, just an observation, that, that Satan didn't even show up and attack Adam until he was married. It, he is kind of funny. Driscoll is kind of funny. <laughs> so the, the unique thing that Mars Hill and Driscoll brought to the table of the deliverance ministry was chauvinism. That's, that's what it sounds like. That, right? I mean, that is, and that is, the reason we've included that clip is that is that those small comments by Driscoll become essential to understanding everything he's doing in this deliverance ministry. Right. That's Remember. at least the point. That's, that's how they want to characterize things is that this was, uh, this was in some way used uh, particular to women. Right. Uh, because of this idea that maybe they're, you know, although, I mean, he doesn't, I don't know. He's not very clear in that clip. No, in what he's he definitely not. I mean, one, he says, you know, uh, he talks about, uh, he, he kind of like, he, is he is, mixes up biblical passages. Yep. He doesn't like he he also like he just says, oh, yeah, Paul says this. He doesn't say that. Right. Um, right. You know, that, like there's there's ways in which he clearly like is we're he's just kind of. Yeah, he's just saying things. Yeah, he's he is. Let's 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 say women were the predominant people who came to these kinds of things. OK, so there's probably some reason for that. Now, there are. Could it just be that in general in Western culture, women seek different kinds of counseling more frequently than men? That's just that's just the case. It could be. Yep. And this is just a version of that. Right. Uh, and he tries to right. He uses women are the weaker vessel. Again, the the that's true. Uh, women. Uh, Eve was deceived and not Adam. Right. It actually doesn't say women are more easily deceived. It says Eve was deceived. Now. Does that say something about womankind? There's probably there because it's there is an appeal to the uh, nature there, but it's not. But it is what you had to do is take both of those and you have to inject 
we assume deliverance ministry into these things. Yes, right. Which we completely have completely outside of the context of those passages. Which we have no reason to believe because if we're going to have to, if we have to play this weird game, well, look at let's look at how many men were demonically possessed in the New Testament yep. versus w- women. Women. Yep. It, I mean, it becomes this weird, arbitrary game, which we will see become very important. Let's give them one more chance, though. One more clip about Driscoll talking about women, as women are the obviously uh, the demoniacs among us today. So. Paul gives instructions to Timothy on how to pastor young widows. This one is amazing. Ladies, this one is especially for you. Let me pause this quick because they don't actually even explain this in the episode. And I have no idea why they don't, because I think it's super important context to what's happening is Driscoll goes through the entire New Testament, finding every reference to like Satan, to demons, to all of these things, and says, here are all the places in our lives we should look for demonic activity. Wow. Is that really how he... That was part of it. That's and how then, he argues So that. that was one section. And then, of course, we get a section where it's like, here's how you too can throw demons out. Um, and it's not flying them out on witches' brooms like Greg Locke. But, <laughs> but the, and so this is one passage in this. And so when he's about to say something that Paul said directly to women... I just want that. I just think that context is important. This is in the context of him flipping through saying lies, right? You know, like just flipping through his yep. Bible. So way. what we have here is an agenda. We chose one. Just like uh, Driscoll in going through and picking out certain passages with certain words has right. this agenda where he's pushing his idea of deliverance ministry. We actually have that same thing going on in this podcast as they're going through and picking out, well, where does Driscoll talk about women? And so, right, if we're going to accept there are demonic powers that work in a certain way. Okay, I guess Paul addressed one of those to women. <laughs> and that's just true, if that's the case. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, the passage is not at all what he's going to say it is, yeah, I'm sure, but, but... But let's play it, and then you can read it. Yeah. Some of you say, oh, it's not me. Yeah. It is. They like to talk about people. How are you doing? What are you doing? And this isn't sisterly accountability. This is, I need to know what everybody's doing because I just like to know what everybody's doing. And then I could tell other people what other people are doing. And I could say, Hey, you need to pray for so-and-so. And I can make it sound spiritual so that when I'm gossiping and busybodying, I'm doing so in a way that seems really Jesus-like. When Driscoll addresses the satanic activity of men, the issues are... So Pastor Michael, will you read for us these instructions from 1 Timothy 5? So, yeah. So I... I'm just assuming uh, what he's talking about. Um, but this is where Paul is talking about how to care for widows. Yes. Um, so he's talking about the household of God. How do you care for uh, those who are in need of care? Let's give the context, by the way. And and here's how you start by saying, oh, you think it's not me. Oh, it is you. That's how you start with a widow is you you make sure she knows she is the drunk widow. Apparently. I like that's so clearly just like, yeah. Uh, a very anyway. Driscoll move. It's uh, So this is, you remember that in the first century, um, like there is no social safety net outside right. of the family. And then the church, like then the church comes in. Um, and uh, so what Paul's doing is helping to give advice on how do you care for those who are in need of physical provision? These are things like, like you can't eat if you don't have somebody providing that for you. So if you're a widow um, and you are an older widow, you can't work or something like that. Um, you can't get remarried to somebody who can provide for you. Well, okay, then you're going to have to uh, you're going to have to do that. But uh, younger widows, uh, he says, is different. Now, uh, I'll start back in verse nine. It says, "Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than sixty years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children." has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households and give the adversary no occasion for slander for some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. 
Now listen to that passage. This is nothing about um, like demons oppressing somebody into doing these kinds of activities. Um, it's, it's saying that there is a temptation from the devil for young widows, if they're being cared for by the church and thus being brought on uh, by the church to uh, take part in some kind of, of ministry, um, likely what this meant, by the way, was going house to house, helping to care for other people in the church, right? Something that, uh, you know, uh, is a great good. That's a good thing. Um, Paul says, if they are not mature, they are likely going to be in a position where they start trying to get into people's business and they like hearing about what's going on. And then they're spreading that and gossiping to other people. They go into somebody's house to care for them. They hear about some kind of sin that they're dealing with and they go and share that with somebody else. That's kind of, that's the and, kind of thing that's happening. And what's, what would actually be jarring about these verses is that Paul is describing in their day and our day of a fairly ordinary thing. Now, again, is the is the primary, and this is why your context describing widows is probably more important. Paul is likely more likely describing something that is common to the society they lived in rather than their gender. That because of certain kinds of pressures put on these people, they are going to, why do they go house to house, right? This is a, this is how their society worked. But what's, what's striking is Paul does say some go after Satan because of this. This is again, this is that Paul is, in my mind, he is pulling back the veil. You think you're just talking. You think you're just having conversations. But this is actually like, this is how Satan works. This is how he causes disunity. That's this right. is, He's the father of this lies. Is how he, this is how he disrupts things. It is, and it, it right, Paul, Paul's solution is get, get the demon out of you. It's don't, don't be idle, right? It's, right it is the solution is very different than a some kind of a large deliverance um in it and so but again this is this is the one that is chosen um that is meant to display like look at how driscoll is you know he's calling them a group of hens just you know clucking around right if if there's a problem with how he's reading this passage it's not that he's attempting to correct women it's that he's attempting to make this relevant to a deliverance ministry yeah that's right and again, I do think Driscoll in these seminars talked about, um, I think what Driscoll saw himself doing was the synthesis of the way you and I are talking about this. Like sometimes spiritual warfare is just like these, these normative biblical practices, wise living, these kinds of things. And he was attempting to marry that to the supernatural deliverance ministry, right? That he... He wanted to have both together, right? Um, and that is what I think made it appealing to me. And so, I, again, I think this draws a huge question, but that, of course, is they're not drawing that question. Yeah, they're not drawing the question that, that, that I you think, would think that you should have. Yeah. So let's play about, let's play a couple more clips of Driscoll from these seminars because we're we're here reviewing Driscoll. And then we will defend, we will play the... Uh, the people who are defending it. Because I think what you are going to find if you're listening is I think Christianity Day gets worried they prove too much. And so we're going to listen to, unfortunately, an incredibly difficult pastoral situation. Later in the talk, he begins to deal with issues of oppression. And these two have some serious implications. I had one woman, wonderful gal, sweet gal, she was convinced of the lie that her husband was committing adultery on her. So every time he would go to work, she literally had a panic attack and would go into the closet and shut the door and be there for hours having a literal full-blown nervous breakdown panic attack. Her husband's a great guy, loves Jesus, loves her. It was a total lie. But something in her believed that lie. And I think for her, that just struck at the core of her security and identity. And Satan got her to believe that lie, and it absolutely undid her. She went to counseling. She was diagnosed bipolar, paranoid schizophrenic, multiple personality disorders. I believe that such things are true, but sometimes they're junk drawer diagnoses for people that are experiencing real spiritual problems. They put her on all kinds of medication. She still had panic attacks, still freaking out, still in the closet. I just told her, I said, sweetheart, it's a lie. It's 
Spirit. It's a lie. Her husband's sitting right there. I said, okay, God's honest truth. Have you ever committed adultery on your wife? No. When you leave the house, are you going to commit adultery? No, I'm going to work. Have you ever touched another woman? Are you looking at porn? Are you doing anything? He's like, I'm not doing anything. I go to work and I come home. That's what I'm doing. I love her. I'm, you know, I'm delighted to be with her. She's the best. I looked at her, I said, okay, here's what faith looks like for you. Believe the truth. Don't believe the lie. If you believe the lie, you're gonna ruin everything. If you believe the truth, you'll be okay. And you know what? By God's grace, she repented of her feeding the lie. She needed to see that believing a lie was a sin. It was a sin to be repented of. Here's the truth, here's the lie. I chose the lie, that's a sin. I need to repent and I need to believe the truth. So Pastor Michael, uh, let me describe one, one, what I actually think we hear here. I think we hear a pastor in one of the most difficult counseling sessions possible. Driscoll in this, in this case is not bringing out the, and then I shouted at a demon. Yeah. Like and we drew out the demon. Yeah. Again, this is where you see the attempts. I believe he was making to synthesize these two things. Hmm. Now he is dealing with one of the, if this happened, um, and again, the more normal stories, I'm like, yeah, this might've been the case. Yep. Um, he is dealing with one of the most difficult possible counseling sessions that I, that I don't know how you deal with. Well, now the reason they include this and there, and I cut it off before they're going to talk about this. This is the example of Driscoll describing women as the hyster hysterical women. This is the hysterical woman trope that she's just, women are just crazy and you've got to, Get them under control, evidenced by the fact that this woman appears hysterical. Two, he calls her sweetheart, which is obviously patronizing. Um, then three, of course, the big problem is he questions uh, if the medication and uh, psychiatric diagnosis she had were legitimate or were potentially more related to the either sin or these, yeah, these, these irrational thoughts she seemed to be uh, kind of countenancing. Now, the issue is, is then at the end, they said, you know, and then we know, we know, but we want to make clear at their church. Sometimes the pastor said, yeah, you do need that kind of help. Sometimes they, they didn't. It was all totally dependent, which I think is what every pastor should say. Yeah. Sometimes right. you need psychiatric and potentially yeah. medical and medicinal help. And sometimes you don't. Right. Right. So Isn't some, that the most normal? Like physical things that need to be dealt with. Yes. Uh, chemical imbalances. And, and in please the brain. deal with it. Yep. Great. Please do that. Um, the idea that it's problematic that he says sometimes that is just a way to cover up the fact that there's sin involved and right. you need to deal with the sin. And that's actually the hard issue. Um, that is also true. Yeah. Um, and, this is. And what they say then is, is what we get to is, I don't know if they say this, but what you realize is it for them listening to Driscoll, it literally does not matter what they say they believe. Cause they're like on church documents. It says psychiatrics is a, a, a real and useful science. It does not matter what they say they believe. It only matters what stories Driscoll tells. And I think there is a, a grain of truth to that, right? If every story you told, right? If you're on the stage and every week it's, you know, this person thought they had a psychiatric problem, but really it was a demon, right? It, it wouldn't matter like what you said you believed. You practice something different. Yep. But I think this is a thing you're, re you, this kind of was a thing that made me click about this show in general does not matter what Driscoll said he believed what he thought it only matters these stories we can find in retail right so here's what I want Driscoll to have said and believed yes and that is what I'm gonna paint this story right. uh, like that now here's what I think about this yeah um, so this was this a sermon was this a more like closed lecture this was I mean it was a basically a weekend like is this, this is still from that. This, this is still, but okay. again, it got, I listened to it in Iowa. Yeah. So it was very public. Yeah. So here's my, like, uh, here's my thoughts about what he shares here. Yep. Um, all of it honestly doesn't sound too bad at all. Uh, maybe you don't like that. He uses the word sweetheart and that's patronizing to you. Okay. That, that's fine. Um, you, you don't this like was that also, 
right this was also 14 years ago yeah it's a little while ago but even like okay i, I don't care sure uh, really that much about the term i'm not going to like defend it or not or um, use yeah right. right i don't use it um it's just okay whatever um that's like that's small potatoes to me um the issue that i see is sharing publicly in in such a public way so if this is like a hey this is a closed room hey we're sitting in this room there's five 10 of us, you know, I'm trying to help you guys in pastoral situations. The fact that you're using this event, yeah. unless now if he did, I mean, so part of this is I'm reading into it that, you know, he apparently shared this other woman's story in a book of his right. without having even asked her. Yep. And that just makes me think probably he's doing the same here. He's right. just saying in a way to make himself sound pretty good and what he's doing pretty good, he is talking about a very intimate and important situation and just doing it very haphazardly and like whatever well, like i said the fact that when i heard this what gave it credibility to me was the fact that he said i'm very quiet about this i don't talk about this in him talking about it in the most public <laughs> yeah. possible um you know setting yeah like that that is what to me oh. is actually the the real this, issue here not what he said not how he acts like this, he this almost certainly violates the confidentiality that the that your members should be allowed to expect from their pastor. And this is actually this. I think that this probably comes out and this is not a typical sermon, but right. I think that this is the same thing as a sermon for Driscoll yep. Yep. <laughs> um, and for a lot of uh, evangelical pastors. Uh, your sermon has to be filled with tons of personal stories. Yes. When you do that. Um, you are setting yourself up to number one, like end up sharing really personal stories that you should not be sharing. Mm -hmm. um, number two, sharing stories that just are not actually true, right. or they are, maybe they actually happen, but you really hyperbolize them in order to make them fit what you're trying to say in a sermon or what you're trying to do as far as like, you know, uh, building up the point that you're working yeah. on. Um, that, that to me is the danger of what he's doing. And what I think that we should learn from it even is, we should not do that. Not that you can't use personal stories, but if you try to build, if, if you're like, man, everything I do has to be full of personal anecdotes, right? There's not going to be that many. You're going to have to start sharing some of these extremely personal things. And if you don't have somebody's permission to do that, and it, by the way, if somebody says, yeah, please, by all means, like share this testimony of the way God has worked in my life. And mm -hmm. you can say glory to God, look at how God has worked in this person's life. That's great. Yep. Um, but if you're just like, hey, let me share these pastoral situations without naming names. It's like, well, everybody knows, right. <laughs> you know, or at yeah. least the people involved do. Yeah. And it's, it is, it is even, even your own family. I'm just going to talk about oh, my own yeah. family all the time. Right. I, uh, I, uh, I filled the pulpit here and I mentioned a question my daughter asked me now it was a simple question, but I was even after that I was like oh wow I guess I just, you know, threw her name in a question she asked but, and again right that's not even the like, you know, I learned this thing of sin dealing with my, right like right, it's, a very, yeah. it, it's very weird like there's almost when when you believe that you I, I think that what you're I, again I think this is, this is the the very valid point you're making is right you're not denying any possible use of a personal story or mm -hmm. anecdote but when you need them and you have to look for them and i have to treat every engagement at with my children or a stranger or in my pastor's office has this potential potentially will need to be in a sermon one it's going to be weird to interact with you because uh, or I mean, maybe you're asking people all the time, either way, it's going to be a strange, those interactions are going to be strange. Yeah. Now yeah. there are times where it will naturally fit like the question my daughter asked, but, and again, even then, right. It's, it's not, it is not, there is still reason to exercise extreme caution. Um, now let's listen now up to three clips about Driscoll's. This is where we're getting to what is deliverance ministry under Driscoll. I'll give them a spiritual inventory. I send them home and I tell them this, you know, Satan is a liar, John 4, uh, and we want to be free of those. And the re result is we need to speak the truth, walk in the light and be honest. So I tell them, look, tell me everything. Don't lie. Don't miss anything. Sometimes people will say, well, uh, do I have to put everything? It's like, yeah. And whatever you don't want to tell me, that's probably the first thing I need to know. All right. If it's so dark that you can't tell anybody. So Pastor Michael, you're cringing. We'll, uh -huh. we'll come back to this. I I'll say that he is 
again, we are, we are doing, this is like, again, we're doing somewhat basic counseling, like filling out a spiritual inventory. That's a, that's a kind of thing that happens in counseling. Now, what made you cringe was, and you have to say everything. Right. right you away. have to tell me, like, I, I have to know every sin you've ever committed. Right. That's, that just seems really problematic. Now, would there ever be a situation where somebody's like, man, my conscience is so loaded. Can I just sit with you and like, just share with you these things? Right. And of course, like, yeah, like I'm willing to, one of the like most painful and difficult parts of being a pastor is the fact that you are helping to bear the burdens and the sins of the people in your congregation. Right. You do that all the time. And it's extremely difficult, but uh, like that is perfectly fine. Yeah. And, but when it's like, like, this is where it becomes much more like manipulative, um, like, a, right. I don't know, almost like a power play kind of thing. Like you need to tell me everything. Right. No matter how unrelated to whatever issue we're having to deal yep. with, I need to know your deepest, darkest secret. Yeah. Now, <laughs> was this helpful for some people? Almost definitely. Yes. Because there are some people that had never confessed anything exactly. that they'd ever done. And they were walking around full of shame and guilt yes. for all these sins that they had done. And I think read in the best light, that's what he is trying to force. Yep. Best possible light. Yeah. Knowing what we know right. about right. someone like Driscoll is also like you're a megalomaniac and you want like the power of like knowing everybody's dirt. Yeah. Let's keep listening. Well, that probably, you know, that's probably the big issue that we have to deal with to get you some help. This is important when you're dealing with someone, there are two ways of dealing with someone who has demonic issues. One is to speak directly to the demon. If you do, the demon takes over the person. This is where their eyes roll back in their head. This is where their voice changes. This is where they demonstrate supernatural strength. This is where- So as we continue <laughs> down this road, this is, the person has now filled out a spiritual inventory. You kind of have figured out, he's going to address it. And now there are times, right? And we need to address the demon. And so sometimes, right, don't speak to it personally, you know, and and, and we'll listen to this. Let's listen to the full, uh, we'll give him the full, we'll give him the full minute to explain this before we talk about it. Where things go nuts. Don't ever do that. People need to be self-controlled and alert. You don't allow a demon to take over a person. You don't speak directly to a demon. I'll explain that a little more fully as we go. There's two ways to do that kind of demonic investigation and spiritual warfare trial. Right? In any good trial, you need ground rules, a bailiff to enforce them, bring in the person, get the truth, sentence them, condemn them. That's all we're talking about. It's a trial. It's a trial. And the worst thing you can do is to let a demon take over a person. I've seen it on a few occasions. I've seen people try and kill themselves. We're sitting in my office just talking. <laughs> Voice changes, appearance changes, bodily posture changes. I've seen little tiny women demonstrate full man, masculine voices, superhuman strength. I've seen things levitate in my office. Crazy stuff. Can I? Just one thing. If there was ever an episode where the music is doing us such a disservice over him speaking, it's this episode. These are these are just talks, but there's always this like, like it's just always like be on the edge of your seat. So, Pastor Michael, let me make one very brief comment about what you notice about all of these things. And and to Cosper's credit, he he begins to point this out. The the issue is again when uh we have one more clip from Driscoll before Sam Storms, good guy, charismatic, comes to save the day. So Pastor Michael, here's the problem: one hundred percent of what he just said is extra biblical. Yes. Now again, at the time I thought I was like, yeah, yeah, you need to have like a person who's in control, a bailiff, like all of this, like for like this trial language is just like, what do you when you You, see? I mean. um, yeah, I mean, he, counseling or when you see like the interaction of the apostles or Jesus with the demonic, it is nothing like this. And Jesus speaks directly to demons all the time. Yep. I mean, and the apostles do. They, they yeah. speak directly to demons. They apparently have no, Jesus in the desert has a, has multiple conversations with Satan. Now it's not something to be looked forward to, right? It's not something, they're not trying to extend it out, 
Jesus is like, I am not going to let the demons proclaim who I am, right? He has, he has limitations on what he wants them to do and allows them to do. But this whole thing is totally extra biblical. Yeah. hundred percent. And it's said just like, well, of course. Yeah. Oh yeah. You just do this. And yeah. You how, just, you just bring them in. You got a bailiff. You, <laughs> I think you have to, because you have to say it like, this is so like clear. obvious. Yeah. I don't, otherwise even, I don't it, even have to show you where this is exactly. from. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we, we all know this and it's like, uh, and, okay, I and, guess. And this was something I, you know, we, um, the, the sermon I just, I gave was on um, the apostles telling a man to rise up and walk in Jesus' name. Now, one of the things I was reading and thinking about during this is what's fascinating is Jesus actually never tells us to command demons or command healings in his name, which is when I read that and real, I really thought that through, I was like, oh, that is really strange. He tells the apostles to do that at various places. But he actually doesn't give that as a general claim. Now he tells us to pray in his name. We still have the authority of Jesus' name, but they're these like um, elaborate things. There, we actually aren't given uh, an expectation or any instructions on this kind of thing as Christians, which I f- I find striking, and that's why this is all extra biblical. And it and it draws the question. We'll play one more of these. Is at some point, we have to ask the question, and I don't know, Pastor Michael, you can, while we listen to the next clip, decide if you want to, because they totally avoid this, and I'm about to want to totally avoid this, where they try and adjudicate if these things ever really happen. They do not address it. They do not talk about when Driscoll's like, I saw people's eyes roll back in their heads and voices speak and things. They are, they are, they are not touching that with a 10-foot pole if those things ever happened. Uh, but... The next one is a clip that actually John MacArthur and Phil Johnson um, unrelentingly replayed and replayed as a sign that there is something wrong with Driscoll. Hey, if you're about to play this clip with your children, stop. This next section's a bit disturbing. Uh, There was one woman uh, I dealt with. She'd never told her husband that uh, she had committed adultery on him early in the relationship. I said, you know, she's sitting there with her husband. I said, you know, I think the root of all this, I think Satan has a foothold in your life because you've never told your husband about that really tall blonde guy that you met at the bar. And then you went back to the hotel and you laid on your back and you undressed yourself and he climbed on top of you and you had sex with him and snuggled up with him for a while. And deep down in your heart, uh, even though you had just met him, you desired him because secretly he is the fantasy body type. I said, you remember that place? It was that cheap hotel with that certain colored bedspread. You, did, you had sex with the light on because you weren't ashamed and you wanted him to see you. And you wanted to see him. She's just looking at me like, I said, you know, it was about 10 years ago. See everything. She says, she just looks at her husband. He says, is that true? She says, Yeah. He was 6'2", blonde hair, blue eye. Yeah. Some of you, when you're counseling, you will see things. I mean, you will, you will literally, gift to discernment, see things. I can't even explain it. It doesn't happen all the time. Pastor Michael, this is one of the reasons we addressed discernment the way we did yeah. in our episode on discernment. Because right. the gift, gift of discernment style, as Phil Johnson once described it, is Driscoll claims the Holy Spirit gives him porno vision. Like, I, I, I do... Uh, this is again extra biblical, um, but what do you? What do what? This is why this is this is what draws the question: Did these things really happen? Right. Well, for sure, this no. Right. Like this is <laughs> like it's. It's such a relief to hear even, you say this, didn't, this. This for sure. Didn't well, but happen. even even just the story itself, right? Like, is just so. Uh, it's like it's the. The story, maybe like you could just say, yeah, he counseled somebody and this came out that this kind of stuff happened. But um, the story that, yeah, here, I explain this stuff. And the husband said, did that happen? And the wife said, yeah. And he said, oh, was it like this? <laughs> it's like, what in the it, world? Right there. Are if this did happen, it would not have gone down like this. Yeah. And that's what a, there are times where you ask a prescient question. Yeah. And it causes like a, 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 I'm not, and I don't mean this the way he does a revelation. Whoa. You know, things are now being said in this relationship or issue or individual's life that 
wow, you know, they feel, they feel known and there's wisdom and past pastoral experience that brings this. Yeah. Can I say that? Like even the idea like of discernment can include the fact that there are going to be times that you are meeting with somebody or, you know, somebody, or maybe you're meeting with a couple like this and like you, you can tell something's going on that maybe they can't. Yep. Right. Or one of them can't. Mm-hmm. Right. You just know you're, or like you just see, hey, well, here's here is a sin biblically defined that I see going on that they don't recognize because don't they have not trained. Right. They, they are not trained their minds. They have not trained their minds in practice to distinguish good and evil. Good and evil. Yeah, that's right. And, and now, that, is it like a movie in your head? That is absolutely wild. And you would even like it. not just drunkle. You might, this right. might happen. He to said, you. this is, no, he said, this is going to happen sometimes. Yeah. What are you talking about? Right. Even the fact that like very few people have like, this isn't like um, one of the charismatic gifts that a lot of people have claimed that they have. Mm-hmm. Now people have claimed certain visions and things yep. like that, but not like this. This is not normative. So, so, and again, to anything, why would you ever speak about this publicly? Yep. And the why level would you of say detail. It? Yeah. Right. I mean, it is. Wow. It is. It, I mean, it is awful. So the, the issue that I think Christianity today confronts before we turn towards Sam Storms is other than the stuff about women, which they've highlighted, this appears to call into question deliverance ministry as a whole. This, this, this calls into question, it seems to make us ask, these kinds of questions about charismatic practices as a whole. Yeah. Like, why are you doing this? This, if this isn't in the scripture, if you're not able to show like a scriptural reason for doing these trials and like the way you do things, like why, why are you doing this at all? That is the question that should be asked right now. And this in the podcast. And I think this is where they, this is why I think they have to avoid some of these questions. Cause I think they are proving too much that if, if, if this is problematic, then Maybe a whole lot of our donors, churches are also problematic. Very problematic. <laughs> this was my this was my take, by the way. I'll just yeah, say it yeah, now. And so. why they go where they go? Yeah. By bringing a charismatic guy in that is going to sound that to them sounds more reasonable. Yep. Um, I don't think it is, yep. but like to them sounds more like yep, like this is like a trustworthy guy. He's not a crazy guy like Driscoll. Um, I think they bring him in because they realize the a and large he's a complimentarian, right? And he's a he complimentarian. To... Um, he they bring him in because they know that a large portion of the churches of the people that are listening to this, and a large portion of people that listen to this in general, hold to some kinds of practices that are very similar to this. Yes. So let's tie it one bow on Driscoll before we listen to see if Sam Storms can rescue Deliverance Ministry and the Charismatic Project. I there might, I should say spoiler alert, but I'm not going to spoil it if he does. Why didn't Driscoll saying this, this clip is everywhere. John MacArthur and Phil Johnson made this everywhere. They talked about it all the time. Oh, you think Driscoll's okay? Blam, this. Why did, I? here's why I didn't care. I was 100% undiscerning and not, a, and was a fanboy, right? So there's me, my, there's my mea culpa, <laughs> right? I, I was a 18 year old when this talk was given, right? I was a fool. Now, the, so there's me, there's my admission as to why this didn't draw red flags. Why didn't this cause, why didn't anyone else react? Is John MacArthur the only discerning pastor in the country? I, I, I'm asking legitimately, why wasn't this, this is, cons- now when people hear this, they go like, what in the world? Yeah. 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 Why? So why didn't TGC say, oh, maybe this is the problematic thing that, you know, we don't need to wait for the complete destruction of his church for us to say, maybe right. he shouldn't, you know, um, be around. Um, yeah. Why? Why didn't some of these big names that had platformed him? Why does John Piper have no regrets? Yeah. When this Sam, kind of stuff was Sam Storms is about to say he joined X-29 because of these because convictions of Mark Driscoll so, being. So sorry, Sam, we're already subtweeting yeah. your interview before you start. But yeah, why doesn't this why wasn't this heated? Here's here's why. Okay. Um, I'm going to say why, and you know, I can myself. be wrong. You know, obviously I can be wrong, yep. uh, you know, and, you know, feel free to say, this is not why um, you or anybody listening to this. My, what I suspect is that 
in throughout places like the Gospel Coalition, throughout all of the places, Desiring God, the places where Driscoll was platformed, who um, accepted some level of like charismatic expectation, at least, right? They ex- they accepted some form of like Wayne Grudemian, Gru- I, I don't know, <laughs> yeah. Wade Grudem-esque, like, uh, like some kind of understanding of the charismatic gifts. Yeah. But nobody had a clear definition of what was in and what was out, which is a like the norm within charismatic circles and Pentecostal circles. There is no clear definition, at least in modern charismatic circles, of like what is and what is not allowed. When somebody like this comes wow. along and he says this, this is, is happening. This is right. No, this is right. No, I think it is. This I think is this right. is right. There are no bounds. This is there not controversial. No... This is just what is. <laughs> this is exactly why. This, the, like there are no like clear lines about what is acceptable and what is not. So when somebody comes along and they start saying, hey, we've liked them in these other things. They've defended the charismatic gifts before. And now they're saying they have this experience of these weird visions. I have to accept it because I can't tell you that's wrong. I have no like. I have no way of saying this is in, this is not, um, which might be one of the reasons, by the way, Sam Storms never says, if I remember right, hey, all that stuff that Driscoll said about demons, about trials, about uh, the gifts that he had, about visions, he doesn't say those things were wrong. He's going to say some of the stuff he said about maybe women being more susceptible is wrong. Join us next week for part two of this episode. <laughs> where we will discuss if Sam Storms can differentiate Driscoll from normal deliverance ministry and explain to us what a healthy charismatic practice would be. Pastor Michael, I know I just shocked you. We have to go to part two. This has already been so long. I know. And I I don't want to cut it. (laughs) We can't. We can't. And so that's why we're doing it. Thanks for listening. Join us on Patreon this week on Demon Week. Listen to Greg Locke threaten to fly witches right out of his church. (laughs) 